All right, man. Thank you for doing this. Welcome. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for Akiva. I, I, I was I was trying to figure out how to say your name earlier. I was like Akiva. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yo, thank that, you for having that's me. That's it, brother. Well, you're you're from South Carolina, right? Is that accurate? I am. That is accurate. I I uh, <laughs> I'm from South Carolina, a little small town called Hartsville, and uh, yeah, I moved to Nashville two and a half years ago now. So that's where I'm, this is where I'm based out of. And I, I started the Grimsley project or like a year and a half ago here. So yeah, everything's been going. Dude, that's wild. Okay. It, no, it's just interesting to me because I heard your accent and I put two and two together because I'm from Georgia. I'm from South Georgia is where I grew up, but you know, yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I was, I was listening to your last interview yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting being from the south and everything, and uh, I don't know, just uh, being in this type of stuff in the alternative scene is is different. Okay, that's exactly what I wanted to start with because I think our experiences are probably parallel in that we both came up in an alternative scene in the American South. Just describe that process to me. How did that begin? Just give it to me straight. Well, it's to be honest with you, it was never me like I always wanted to dress like this way and look this way. But, you know, I was a pretty like timid kid growing up, but I was always listening to it. Like uh, my best friend growing up, still one of my best friends to this day, his name's Christopher. He was showing me so many bands. He introduced me to Slipknot and, you know, all these my favorite acts. Uh, whenever we were like nine years old and we, I just kept getting more and more into it. And then like, I feel like I was a teenager at an amazing time for like, or, or my, I, I got into like the warp tour scene, which was like asking Alexandria at the time, one of my favorite bands, uh, Blackville brides, uh, countless others. And, but pretty much I was just always on the internet Everything for me was just uh, just looking stuff up, being a part of the community that way. But whenever it came to like real life, I was always just, you know, I went to a private school. You had to wear your hair short, wear uh, collared shirts and all that stuff. So, you know, you couldn't really look the part. You couldn't do anything weird or out of line. So now that I'm a, an adult, it's nice to be able to just do what I want and just have this type of freedom and having Grimsley as an outlet has just been one of the best things ever for me. That's okay. So that's, what's up. So touching on that point, what years were those years, those formative years of you kind of discovering your alternative identity? I guess, uh, simply I would put, say, was it, you know, uh, sorry, I think there's a lag or something, but, um, it's, uh, for me, it was 2000, like, eight nine to like 2013 2014 so you know i'm 26 now uh so i was like 11 to like you know 16 or something or 17 is whenever like the the majority of my uh discovering new bands new music was going on and for me how i was discovering new music was youtube whoever had the coolest thumbnail and the recommended you know, like little bar on YouTube. That's who uh, I was listening to. That's how I discovered new music for years. 
Okay, that's wild. The reason I asked this question is also because I was pretty much out of the loop by the time I was in college. You know, I went to college in 2007. You know, I grew up in the MySpace era. And during the MySpace era, you had MySpace, pure volume. You know, these were the ways stylistically and aesthetically things are exactly the same as they are now back then, but the way you discovered music. So here you are on YouTube, you're discovering all these things for the first time. But you also have a big influence from, it seems, bands like Foo Fighters, alternative rock bands. So I'm kind of curious how that came Absolutely. to pass as well. Well, the song that, the best way I can describe this is the song Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Every time I listen to it to this day, it's my favorite song and will always will be and always will be. It's almost like it gave me this high and it's almost like I've forever been chasing this high to write a song that does to other people what that song did to me. And like songs like, you know, Everlong was one of the first songs I learned on guitar. Of course, like Foo Fighters meant a lot to me. And then, um, but I didn't really get, and I was always into metal and stuff like that, but I loved my rock. I loved my butt rock, you know, dude. I mean, yeah, I love Three yes. Days Grace, you know, stuff like that. Breaking Benjamin, I was into yes. stuff like that. And it was kind of like that influenced me a lot as well, which I think that had a lot of like alternative and emo to it, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I also like, I love the style. I found out about my chemical romance, you know. Now, granted, I came in at the tail end of their first run before the hiatus, you know, I came in their 2011 album. That's whenever I found out about them because I saw that playing on MTV wow. uh, and I, don't know, I thought that was awesome. It's not one of their favorite, the most uh, renowned albums, I guess, but I thought it was really cool. And then I discovered the Black Parade from there. And of course, that that did a lot for me. And I don't know. I'm so I have so many different influences um, from so many different places. OK, so let's touch back on Butt Rock for a second, because, again, being that part of the scene that you grew up in, look, butt rock was like, you could not even discuss it when I was coming up. Like you were just, you were just ridiculously uncool if you listened to any of it. The irony, or call it ironic if you want to, but now it's as cool as shit. I mean, it really is. And I've always been interested in it aesthetically, but I'm getting into it for the first time. So tell me a little bit about some of your favorite butt rock bands. And, you know, just give me a top five. I'm super curious. All right. All right. So, I mean, Three Days Grace is always going to have a special place in my heart. Like, uh, it's it sucks to kind of call them that, but they are. And then Breaking Benjamin, they're, they're in that same realm. And then, like, uh, I don't know, let's see. Five Finger Death Punch is another one everybody can call that. But... I, I still, I don't appreciate their whole aesthetic, really. But some of their songs always just like, it was badass. So that, them, and then there's like, God, I mean, we can get dirty with it, like Puddle of Mud. Yeah, uh, Got to. That's like a yes. legendary one. Um, Let's see here. God, I don't, it's, I'm having a hard time blanking on so many, but there are it's all right. infinite amounts uh, three door three doors down three doors down is another one three doors down yeah 
You got to check out yeah, cold. Just, do you like uh, cold? Whatever's going in my head. I do Have like cold. The, I forgot about cold. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like my, aesthetically, uh, a lot of the bands are good. Absolutely. Uh, cold, I really do enjoy them. I've actually listened to them pretty recently because I uh, I became friends with another artist uh, who actually did a, my last single with. His name's Dear Death, and Cold is his his favorite band. And I was checking them out and everything because he posted about them. But that was his very first post on his Instagram ever. And I was like, I completely forgot Cold existed. And they're really good. They are really good. Dude, that's so wild. <laughs> so, you know, before we get into your music, because, I, you know, let's take a step back. This is how I found out about Grimsley. Okay, I'm on Spotify. Okay. I come across your music and instantly... I'm just I'm just put on because I'm thinking to myself I'm like dude this is absolutely sick and you know you sent me last night your new single uh Dark Red Room and I really want to you know kind of hear about the meanings behind some of your songs and uh starting with Dark Red Room you know tell me all about that that track in particular and then we'll get back into your catalog well instrumentally I, I these days i'm I, I really love breakbeat um and i was like i really want to do a song that has breakbeat elements in it uh t- my song time to pray had a little bit of it but this one's more all in and uh i've been playing the game cyberpunk 2077 i was like what would cyberpunk rock kind of sound like and i don't know i kind of like just went from there but kept it kind of in my style of this like the Grimsley style that I feel is like melancholy, yet kind of hopeful, yet kind of dark. I, I just kind of like painting a world with, uh, you know, the whole track in general. I typically care about the instrumentals more than anything. Um, and that song, it flowed really very easily. And then lyrically, it's it's about loneliness, really. Like kind of how... You know, these days we're all like kind of we're connected more than ever before, but we are very much apart in and uh, being driven apart in many ways. And this track is kind of like, well, you know, I thought I had somebody close. I thought I was somebody was special to me. And, you know, now I'm back here. I'm back in this dark red room. um, And. You know, I can blame them. I blame myself. Like the anxiety is getting to me. It's like trying to go through the stages of of just like being by yourself and and dealing with your feelings alone without anybody to talk to. Of course. (laughs) That's the best way I can explain it. It's a super, and and instrumentally, I feel like I can sit here and say, oh, it doesn't really fit then the, what the lyrics are about. But to me, it does. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that I'm proud of. There's probably a lot more that I uh, could say about it, but I'm sitting here just trying to, I'm reminiscing on the track itself right now. It's still pretty fresh. I, uh, I finished it last week. So. Well, it's excellent. And that kind of brings me to, brings me to another track. So Miss Reaper. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's yeah. really what I want to touch on, you know, coming off of the, off of your new track, because 
that was so haunting to me. I mean, when I first heard it and I don't really get transfixed on things that I hear because we live in such a culture where things move so quickly, but I'm telling you, like when I put something on repeat, I mean, I'll listen to it five, 10 times. And that's how I felt about that track. Like my work at the time, I would have considered that a backing track to one of the projects I was working on. And I've definitely made a career out of heartache one way or another. So there was a definitely a parallel that I felt, which is of course what compelled me to absolutely want to reach out to you. So I guess, tell me about that track in particular and kind of the inspiration behind it. And because it is pretty deep. (laughs) To be honest with you at that time, whenever I wrote it, I was kind of going through one of the most, I don't know, uh, uh, I'm just going to call it a moment of growing up and dealing with some like real adult shit, you know, like I've done, I've had a few moments in my life and I feel like my twenties has just been, you know, a constant growing pain every single year. And then at that moment in time, uh, you know, Miss Reaper, which everybody who talks about it and asks me about it, they think it's like, oh, who is Miss Reaper and all this stuff. And it's kind of like, that's not quite what it's about. Miss Reaper is actually about like addiction. Um, It's about something coming back into your life that you thought you had gotten rid of. Um, You're welcoming it back in knowing it's going to kill you or hurt you or do you wrong. Kind of like a, I mean, it can be a relationship, which for me, it it kind of was, but the person who I kind of wrote it about, it was kind of about their, uh, it was a relationship I was in. It's kind of about their battle and maybe in me seeing stuff that I've never, you know, I I haven't dealt with yet, like seeing uh, hard drug use and um, seeing what that does to a person um even though like like being sober for so they were sober for so long and then they relapsed and it was just a very scary thing and uh i feel like instrumentally it just came super easy uh i mean i i always love my i, I call them my everlong chords and i mean everybody always calls me out on it, but i mean it's true i'm not going to deny it it's only two chords um but uh i was also like wanting it to hit harder i wanted like a deftones meets lincoln park feel i guess and uh i don't know and, and i put a lot of eerie noises in it that this kind of becomes something i do in most of my tracks as just kind of ear candy that adds to that haunting aspect but um you know miss reaper has been something else for me I, I guess you could say i'm 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 proud of it and i'm also like i don't know it's uh i have my moments of just embarrassment <laughs> because it, it's blown Why? up like it has and you know everybody's got an opinion well because truth be told like i didn't want to put it out i was embarrassed because like before i started grimsley i'd never sang before and uh i just i was doing everything myself I still do everything myself in my, uh, I have a little walk-in closet and that's where I do everything. And, you know, it's just something that I wrote in there and 
I, I had written my song Breaking Me and I had nothing after that. And I sent it to my friend Christopher and I was like, dude, I don't think I'm going to put this out, but this is what I have. And he said, dude, put it out. I promise. That's uh that's a banger. And I did. And I'm really happy that he encouraged me to do so. That being said, I mean, there's been so much overwhelming positivity that, that has came from it, but there's also like, uh, this is my first time dealing with like actually people coming at me and like, you know, I went from like, nobody knew me at all, not doing anything to all of a sudden I have like my second song ever out and it's getting millions of streams and I'm trying to learn how to deal with people having opinions about it and about me from it, you know? So, so that's been a struggle as well, but it's all a learned, it's something that I'm learning to deal with. And, uh, I still think it's a relatively new thing because, you know, most artists haven't had to, I mean, I guess in the last 10 years, it's become a really prevalent thing, but most artists for the last God knows how many years, you didn't have to worry about automatic feedback from people, but now it's like, they can just get in your DMS. They can get in all your comments and that's, uh, that's been an interesting thing to deal with so far. And I think that's one thing I've still struggled with right now. Yeah. It's, it's been a, a, a it's been a long process, but I'm coming to grips with it. And you don't have to look at everything. And there's genuine criticism in a lot of it that, you know, is valid. Um, but then, uh, of course, there's a lot of it that's just being mean. But I I really don't need to be talking so much about all the hate, the, the amount of love I've received. And uh, people who are genuinely interested in my music has been insane for me. <laughs> it's, it's it's really cool no 100 percent. i mean look people will always find a criticism in anything i mean that's been my experience that isn't to say that people don't have valid criticisms but you know the more mm-hmm. you put yourself out there and the more work you put out it's just an inevitability of our society and i wish it weren't the case i truly do because i think there's so much more to come of positivity but you know maybe i'm just an eternal optimist who knows yeah that's a that's a really good way to look at things and um i need to be more like that (laughs) uh i'm learning i'm learning can you uh can you hear me i can okay all right but yeah um miss reaper has has been truly a blessing to me and all my other songs, like I've been happy with my discography so, discography so far. It's not very extensive. It's not very crazy, but uh, it's coming along. I have an, the new single, Red Dark Room, Dark Red Room, coming out October 20th. And then uh, the November 17th is whenever I'm dropping my full album. So that'll be cool. Oh, wow. Okay. So November the 17th is when your full album comes out. How many tracks are you looking to put out on that album, if I can ask, around? So it will be all of my back catalog so far. So including Red Dark Room, it's nine songs plus another five. Um, So it'll be about 14 songs in total. Um, And I I just want to go ahead and get it out so I can have a body of work. 
that's that feels like fu- fulfilled it feels like uh you know i've always loved you know or loved the thought of having like a full album and uh well uh on november 17th uh is when that's when i'm dropping it it's gonna be 14 songs uh that's the goal okay there's a couple on it that uh are not a hundred percent done yet. So, you know, but that is, that is what the plan is. Um, but once, uh, once red, dark red room, I keep calling it red, dark room is dark red room <laughs> drops October 20th. Um, then, uh, I'm going to start the album came campaign right after that. And it's going to be cool. I'm really excited for it. Uh, you know, I also do stuff with my band atrial, uh, which I've been in since beginning of college and love that. And, you know, we're, we're dropping new stuff as well at the end of the year. So it's like, a, I have a lot of stuff coming up and I don't know, this is my favorite thing in the world whenever new music is actually coming out. And, um, this, this project means a lot to me for a very first project. I can already say like, regardless of if the other five tracks don't get a single stream, uh, I, it's been a success you know, with everything I've done so far for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a few questions there. So let's talk a little bit about Atrial and kind of how that brought you to this point. Just touch on it, you know, as much as you're willing to. Oh, yeah. Well, it started with me, my friend Christopher and my friend Clayton um, in high school. We just would get together and jam and we could never find a singer or anything like that um, until we got to college, uh, which we took like a year off. We didn't talk about music. We didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden we, uh, I just got the itch one day and I was like, I messaged him. I was like, guys, we've got to actually do something. We've been talking about like actually putting music out for years. Let's just do it. Let's just record something, no matter how bad it is. Let's do something because I want to play shows. I want to be a rock star and all that stuff. And they're like, all right. And I met a friend of mine named Matthew, who's the singer for Atrial. And he joined. And uh, we ended up getting our other friend, Zeb, eventually into the band. He plays bass. And now there's just, uh, we still do it as much as we can you know we're all getting older we all live in different places now really well zeb and clayton actually live with me so uh <laughs> you know we're um we're pretty close but christopher and matthew live in a different state and you know that comes with its challenges but we're still making new music sending it back and forth the shows may be a little bit less frequent than they used to be but uh you know i it's metal yeah, I guess I should, I should talk about that. It's it's just straight metal, you know, Slipknot meets Pantera meets, you know, <laughs> a million different things. And I would always write and send them stuff that they were like, hey, yeah, this is really cool, but maybe you should do something on your own with it. And, you know, that kind of, I thought about that for years. And eventually just last year, I was like, you know what? They've always told me to just do something with these tracks that I uh, would write. Those were all bad, by the way. So I scrapped all those, but I still, I wrote Break In Me, and uh, I sent it, sent it to them, and they're like, this is sick. You should do this as your own thing and put it out. And 
that's really how it started. I mean, we all do our own thing. We all have our own little solo projects and mine just decided to grow legs and start doing something <laughs> all of a sudden, which is, is scary, but yeah, it, that's it's where a little bit of pressure. It is a little bit of pressure, but growing up in atrial, I mean, that's how I learned to do anything musically. Like I went to col college, uh, to be in music business and to be in music. And I learned a lot there. I can honestly say I've learned the most by just being in a band, playing shows, doing all these different things and, you know, learning how to produce, learning how to, you know, just play my instruments better <laughs> and um, get creative and uh, have more tools in my toolbox to use, learn how to market, especially. And uh, I took all those things that I learned from years of being in that band, and I was able to like speed run Grimsley, I guess. 100%. I fully understand what that's like, and especially having to learn as you go, leverage those tools and do everything on your own as well. I mean, to this day, I majoritively, you know, still handle all my affairs by myself. Um, I'm interested in the ways, well, two things. I want to start in that how has moving to Nashville affected you both on a personal and professional level? Well, on a personal level, it's, it's been a challenge adjusting to it. Um, coming from a small town of 5,000 people, it's relatively small to Nashville. It's, this is a big town to me. I mean, it's not New York or Los Angeles. Um, but it's, it's dealing with all that and so many people around and uh, the city life, really. And, you know, I, I, you know, I work downtown Nashville. So that's crazy to go from like doing this to like all of a sudden being downtown and like in the city and learning how people function here is very different. Like, you know, there's a whole lot less like you don't really get personal with people here or as much as you do, like in, in South Carolina, where I'm from. I mean, it's not everybody knows everybody, you know, it's just kind of, you put your head forward and go on about it, but I still enjoy it. But on a professional level, I mean, I came here and I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. I wanted to do music and work in the music industry, um, which I do a little bit. And, uh, it's really cool, but it's very much a grind. It hasn't been easy to get uh, in each of these things. And truth be told, Nashville isn't exactly the best place for me doing the type of music I do. It There is a scene here for sure, but it's not very big. <laughs> it's not. It is mostly the country stuff. Hmm. But isn't that kind of wild? Like, I'll preface by saying, okay, so I can empathize with you. I was born in Atlanta, but I grew up in this very small town, right? Leesburg, Georgia. That's where Luke Bryan is from, is where I grew up. So I understand the dichotomy, and I have tremendous respect for him. That said, I moved to Los Angeles after college, and I end up spending a lot of my time in various other cities, including Mexico City, which is actually where I'm at right now, hanging out. That being said, I get it. I totally get it. So that fascinates me. But don't you see a lot of these alternative and, you know, people call it rock and roll, but it's not rock and roll, right? I mean, I don't even know what that is anymore. The alternative routes 
making their way, or I should say the alternative inspiration making its way into country now. Like you see the way that some of these guys are dressing and acting. It's on a whole different, like, what's your take on that? Um, to be honest, I mean, I dig it. I like stuff like that. Um, like I, I'm guessing you've heard the artist Hardy. Um, I haven't. Had, Tell me about you it. You haven't Hardy. Mm -mm. Uh, he's huge in country music, but he has, he made his, his last, uh, album was half country, half just rock. And whenever I say it's rock, I mean, it's rock. Like he, it's, it's straight up stuff from like, you know, the mid two thousands, like Papa Roach and stuff like that. But he is a huge country artist and he's in a, he's a really good songwriter too. Um, so I'm not like super into country, but I know all about what's going on in it. But Hardy has a lot of that influence. I mean, Morgan Wallen even is one of the biggest artists on the planet right now. Uh, his biggest songs are really country, but there are some songs off of his newest album that are alter have some alternative feel to it. And, you know, a lot of the, I guess, uh, a lot of trap also, like uh, influence, which is crazy but it's uh country is taking notes from every genre right now and making it simplifying it and making it its own thing <laughs> well dude it's nice to see because look when i was growing up there was such a dichotomy between guys like us who were part of the you know everything was so siloed you listen to this music you dress this way granted i had lots of friends who were in the more preppy scene listen to country music, cheerleaders, et cetera, but they had their own yep. wave. So to see Same those here. two, yeah, to see those two bleeding into one another, I mean, it's very nice. It makes me feel like that cohesion finally took hold that I wanted to see for years. But I guess my question for you is, do you think that is partially or majoritively due to TikTok? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's even a... I had never heard of it before TikTok, so I'm saying it's from TikTok. The the genre alternative, you know, it's uh, you know, country meets alternative, whatever. And you know, that's a that's the thing. It's a lot of country people who you know dress you know a certain way or closer to what you know like we do. And uh, I guess with my accent, I'm just kind of stuck in that genre genre forever. There's no getting out of it, <laughs> regardless of if I'm just want to be or not. Well, do you remember in that case, because, okay, so y'all alternative, that's what's up. Do you remember kind of like country core, like redneck core, which was basically like, it was like uh, post hardcore or hardcore shows. I want to paint this picture for you. Imagine a mosh pit of people hardcore dancing at a show and they've got on um, skinny jeans tucked into cowboy boots, cut off shirts. It was kind of like, like Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, like, you know, a lot of the um, the Southern influenced hardcore, but I feel like that kind of went away by the mid 2010s. So just based on the fact that we're both from the South and grew up in the alternative scene, do you remember that? And I actually kind don't. Of what are your thoughts? Like, I, I can't say I remember anything like that, but that's kind of, that's kind of dope. I, I had no idea that, <laughs> that was a thing or maybe I do. Is there a band or something from it that's, uh, that did pretty well? Three. Okay, so three. These are these will be for you for later. The showdown. The That's showdown. like number one was the showdown. 
Maylene and the Sons of Disaster and He is Legend, some of their older stuff. And I'll send those to I've you never later. Heard of... <laughs> I've never heard of any of them. That's uh that's that's pretty cool. I'll um I'll definitely check that out. I need to see what kind of redneck shit that they were up to. I love it. <laughs> well, that's what's so interesting to me and why I asked these very specific questions, because there was such a disconnect that happened in the 2010s. In other words, you had the scene I came up in, let's just call it the MySpace alternative scene. And then you had fast forward a number of years and you had the parallel in your scene. I feel like TikTok changed the game for everybody. I mean, everything just came to the surface again. Everything, and granted, you know, I brought back single-handedly brands like Ed Hardy and Jinko and stuff like that. So I was always like <laughs> trying to do stuff that people thought was horrendous and make it absolutely cool in my mind, right? So right. what changed for you in your life, I guess, with TikTok, Miss Reaper, you know, what What do you think led to the success of Rimsley early on? And how did things change in your life because of it? Well, I knew for a fact whenever I put out Breaking Me, I was like, okay. I've seen all these other artists just post stuff on TikTok using their song. And I literally just went through with, with Breaking Me to begin with. And uh, I would... I just did the chorus of the song and I would post a lot of different videos that I would find. I would edit them on my phone. Uh, God, you can look back into all the stuff I was doing back then, but it's all just shitty memes and just putting my music to it. I mean, I had a music video for all that stuff, but nobody cares. Nobody cares about music videos anymore. I mean, Instagram does and stuff like that, but on TikTok, people are there especially the people who are being to stuff like, like what I do, they're usually there to laugh and cry at the same time, <laughs> um, which I mean, that is a certain, that is a thing. And uh, so I would just post these like funny videos with the audio of my song. And then if the video was legitimately funny, it started getting traction. People would also be like, Hey, the song's actually pretty good too. And then I would get, more and more people over and kind of turn those into, into people who are into my music and Miss Reaper. What I did at the beginning of that track just was TikTok, I guess, gold, the, the kill me. Uh, it just, people ate that up and just, it yeah. ran with it. And, uh, I didn't plan that at all. I wasn't like, Oh, this will, this is good for TikTok or anything like that, but I did it. And then as soon as I put that out, I'm like, all my friends were like, dude, this is going to do something. This is going to do something. And then it didn't until like January of this year, really. It done, did okay, but in January, it's, it's almost like the, algor the TikTok algorithm gods just took it and ran with it. The car community got in with it, The especially the like, uh, um, like the gym rat culture and stuff like that. They're using it every single day. And uh, oh, wow. there's like the dirt bike kids, skater kids, and all those different communities have taken it and ran with it and made it their own. And I think it's really cool. I see cool edits every day, every other day. Cool anime edits too, which I think is awesome to see. Um, yeah, no, it's I don't really know why other than I made a sound that, TikTok just loved. That's the only way I can really put it. And I just made memes for it myself and other people just liked it. 
Okay, so would you say <laughs> I get because it's it's just so fascinating to me. So would you say would you say TikTok is one of the major reasons that effectively so many people have discovered it? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And you know, part of me like hates like hates to say that or it's embarrassing. Not anymore. In in like I would say like 2020, 2019, it was kind of like embarrassing to say, oh, I'm on TikTok and stuff like that. But these days, if you're a musician not on TikTok, you're the odd one out. You know, of course, that is where you can test if music is going to go anywhere or not. I mean, truth be told, we are so swamped with new music every single day. There's like what sixty thousand songs uploaded a day to Spotify, um, and you're not gonna get shown all those songs on these platforms. You know, truth be told, the the way I used to discover music on YouTube, that was not really here anymore. It's here for sure, but it's I don't hear people talking about it or doing it. I don't even do it anymore. Um, but I discover music on TikTok. I'll just scroll to a random video i don't know what's going to be next and it it's usually like a stupid slideshow and then an awesome song's playing i go what's that and then i go listen to it and that's just how new music is found there's there's so much stuff out these days it's the only way to kind of put yourself in front of people um and if there's another way i'm all ears but this is the current this is the current trend and this is the only way I know to do it at this point in time. And you can buy ads, but have fun wasting your money. Um, that's, that's just kind of my thought process with it right now. So projecting years into the future, because I'm with you, I'm with you. TikTok is really where it's at. Um, certainly projecting five, let's say, seven years into the future by 2030 i want you to kind of paint a picture for me of the world as an artist and the way you see people interacting you know with your concerts for example virtual reality things of this nature what do you see happening uh, for the better or do you see it as a dystopian hellscape waiting to come because you are playing a lot of cyberpunk right now so that is partially what brought on yeah. this question for me I'm not going to lie. And I, I, it's, it's, it's something I think about a lot. I think that in like five, 10 years, probably 10 years, <laughs> it's interesting to think about right now where people put out a song or that these huge songs, like say Thriller by Michael Jackson, all of a sudden you see like, plankton's version ai version of thriller come out. <laughs> yeah. have you seen those videos Stuff yeah like, like eric cartman or plankton yeah. singing a song I, I love it yeah i genuinely feel like in the next five to ten years you're gonna get the main version of the song and then like a whole album of like your favorite other people singing this song and they'll compile it and put it out that way and like you know then or there's gonna be like artists being like hey you know here's my song uh make your make your own thing with it or put your own voice to it or something like that which i'm sure you'll be able to at this point in five years we'll be able to talk and then ai can replicate our voice saying anything you know i want to hear what you sound like on my song you know and send it in that way and, and 
I don't know what does I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's it's genuinely intimidating. But uh, I can't say it's good. I can't say it's a good thing. But that's kind of the trend I'm seeing stuff going towards. Real music will always be there, and the alternative scene I think right now. I promise this all ties into to this question. Please, I feel like it's popping off a lot harder. Like because it's not pristine, you know. Like my songs. I mix them all myself. I don't know what I'm doing. There's kids that I listen to. Like there's a um, there's a kid named Flying Fish who he's an alternative artist. He's 15 and he did it, did it all on his iPhone. He has over like 500,000 monthly listeners. You know, it's about the songwriting now more so than anything. Like the quality is almost like a, a afterthought, but in a way, it adds its own specialness to it. For the longest time, it was always like, oh, you got to have like the highest quality, like recordings. Yes, sound the, the best. And right now, if you think about it, even with uh, any other genre, like country, especially like uh, Richmond, North of Richmond guy is like uh, most of his albums were on an iPhone camera. So it's like uh, I feel like right now it's kind of like we're reverting back to like it's going more about the songwriting than it is about you know making this high quality pop stuff or anything like that which i find refreshing um and i hope that there will always be that in the future as years go on in five ten years that there will always be like the real feel you know of a good song that you know came from the heart regardless of how many Plankton AI versions of the song there are, like you will hear that original and it will stick out and uh, people will love it for that. So that's me holding out hope. (laughs) Well, that's a, yeah, that's an optimistic take, but look, dude, it's always about the work. I'm with you. I love the fact that things have become so authentic that you could literally just, literally just yell and you could scream into your iPhone and people are going to dig it. And I mean that in the best way, because I remember when I first got into fashion, okay, going back to 2007, that's when the DSLR camera really popped off. Everyone who had one was like, well, I have the best camera. Therefore, my work, I was like, hold on a second. When I first started getting into fashion and all this other stuff as a parallel to what you're describing, I just used the crappiest quality disposable camera I could find at CVS because it reminded me of uh, just like the early 2000s and just going to, you know, like car shows and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. It'll look like shit, but that's exactly what I want, that analog aesthetic. And we're talking like 2015. So fast forward to now, when you have all the technology you could possibly want at your disposal and you're saying, no, man, it's about the art. It's about the work. I admire that so much. And I think that's something else that comes through in Grimsley is just that authenticity you hear it you connect with it you sense that you know and overproduction be damned like that is not even i think relevant and going forward it's going to be crazy right because people are going to be writing songs about you know their the next emo song is in seven years is going to be about their android you know cat girl girlfriend which is totally it probably already is (laughs) <laughs> I'm AI, sure that's already exactly. been made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so I, I don't yeah. know. It's well, that aesthetic is like my favorite type of aesthetic. You're talking about the the real, like the the grungier, the better in my yeah. 
taste or for my taste, um, like I've been calling things like, I, I, I like a lot of like PS2 core is what I've been calling it. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly, you know, or matrix core, just green, yeah. just gross, just kind of grunge and, and like, I don't know, stuff like early 2000s is kind of the vibe right now for the alternative scene, at least f- for me it is. And I take a lot of influence from that time frame. Why is that, do you think, like Gen Z in particular, because I'm a millennial, right? And even though mm-hmm. there's so much parallelism between Gen Zs and millennials, especially if you work in anything creative, like it, you know, it, it's a constant ebb and flow. Why do you think Gen Z is so fascinated with the early 2000s, having not grown up in it? That's honestly a great question. Um, for me, like, on a personal uh, note with that, like I did grow up with like the PS2 and anything when I was real young. And like, so all of that is like nostalgia for me mm-hmm. and I loved it then and revisiting it now. And like, you know, the things I thought were cool then uh, they, they really were cool. Like now that I'm an adult, it's like, yeah, that shit was cool. Like, you know, playing Tony Hawk's underground and stuff like that that was grungy and all those <laughs> the the soundtrack to like those games definitely inspired me and i maybe it's kind of like an older brother core type thing it's like older that brothers like yeah. or or like you know showing their their younger siblings the type of stuff that they were into like probably people my age were who had younger siblings in gen z or just like hey this this was pretty cool you should check this out and um maybe that's what that is I don't know. <laughs> no, that's a good take because that's an aesthetic on TikTok too. Yeah. You've seen it. Maybe they show the room. It's like when you go to your older cousin's house and you see the yes. way they have it set up, this video game console, these CDs. And dude, I was always – okay, so the early 2000s for me, I was super young. And I was mm-hmm. playing PS2, GameCube, Xbox, but I was getting stuff from people I knew who was who were older. I was getting their music. For example, bands like Death by Stereo, things like that. Um, and, but, you know, my coming of age was more like 2006. So I was in the prime kind of under oath, MySpace years, but I remember having my own nostalgia. And then of course, looking to the guys who kind of grew up in the CKY Van Margera era, you know, what their Uh, nostalgia was. Cause you know, you mentioned Tony Hawk's underground. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Viva La Bam. Viva La Bam still, like to this day, it played a big impact on me growing up. Jackass, Viva La Bam. I was so into it. I wasn't, I mean, I grew up in a, we are from the Bible Belt. You know, you know all yeah. about that. I mean, my parents were like, you know, I grew up uh, in a very Christian household and everything, which my parents are awesome, but they weren't exactly stoked on that type of stuff. So I didn't really get to truly enjoy it until I was a little bit older. And, uh, you know, all my friends would always talk about, oh, I love Evil Bam and oh, I love Jackass or Wild Boys. And I don't know, I got to watch it a little bit older when I was like uh, maybe 13 or something like that, 13, 14. And it hit. It still hits to this day. I'm not even going to lie. I love it. <laughs> did you ever get a chance to watch the CKY DVDs? I didn't. I didn't. I only got to okay. see whatever was on MTV when I was younger. Okay, that's another thing for you to check out. So just to preface that, the CKY DVDs, that was like the precursor to Jackass. And that was Bam Margera and his friends basically putting out 
their home movies, but it's called CKY, the same as the band. And I think they had three. So CKY, CKY2K. You got to check those out. And I just definitely, as oh, a fan, I know, I know, yeah. I definitely know CKY, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever uh, watched the movies. Unfortunately, I do love I'm the band though. CK CKY is amazing. They actually just played a pop up show here in Nashville a couple weeks, like two weeks ago. That went insane. They also they announced it at like four o'clock. Hey, we're playing at this small little place. So come on out. Oh, and it wild. got wild apparently it was uh it was pretty cool i wish i could have gone but i heard a lot about it dude that's absolutely wild so what was one of your favorite video game soundtracks of all time okay there's a there was a game called mx unleashed uh dirt bikes which dirt bike racing all that stuff is still my favorite thing to this day because of this video game where it's my yeah. what i love in my off time but mx unleashed it had had some of the best songs ever i found out about one of the best butt rock bands of all time which is from south carolina called crossfade they uh Dude, i know crossfade go on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. from that yeah and then there was like trapped which i thought they were awesome back then that not exactly my vibe anymore but um they uh there was there were so many different like relent k Hawthorne Heights, I think, was on it or something like that. I don't know. There was, was a lot of stuff uh, on that soundtrack that definitely played a big part in me enjoying that style of music. The, the people who made PS2 games back then, they, they knew what was up. That and Midnight Club Remix Edition. Oof. Bro. <laughs> Midnight Club 3, for me, dub edition. Yeah. That's like 50% of my aesthetic right there. Just like, and you know, that's the Atlanta thing with me too, of course. Like I've always dreamed of having like a, a Cadillac on dub spinners, just even purely out of nostalgia. I would totally <laughs> drive that car right now. That soundtrack. So the MX soundtrack, MX yes. remix. Um, do you remember Need for Speed Underground 1 and 2? I played them, mm -hmm. but they, they I didn't. I don't really remember them all that well. I need to revisit the Need for Speed games because I know a lot of people talk highly of them, and I know they did have banger soundtracks. I like they used to have the greatest hits versions of video games, and like we oh, can't do yeah. that anymore. <laughs> that was that was awesome. So, what do you think about? No, and I agree with that. It's you know that that ability to go into a store and you know see everything showcased. Everything's digital now, or mostly. So. Do you remember touching on that subject of video game soundtracks? I'm assuming the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack. And I mean, that's the original was very iconic. But would you say that that was a, you know, probably like the top? That, yeah, I would say so. Uh, for me, the one I played the most was actually Pro Skater 4, which yeah. had, that's where I learned about Motorhead and ace of spades and all that yeah, stuff that. and like i got introduced to the classics and like i was like i don't know what this is but this is badass and i'm i'm so stoked to say that i got to see motorhead uh with lemmy and everything before he died yeah. which is uh yeah. that, that's a big deal for for my household <laughs> no it is i mean he was absolutely iconic um mm -hmm. You know, this is really fascinating to me because as we're kind of going through your history, I'm learning how those individual influences kind of added up in such a way that it brought you to Grimsley, right? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, going forward, I'm super curious to hear about who are some people you want to collaborate with. Because I always have the people in the back of my mind, like, these are the people in fashion and art, given the opportunity I would collaborate with, right? right. So who are three people you would collaborate with in these three genres? Okay. Number one is butt rock. Okay. Number two is country. And number three is emo alternative. Okay. For butt rock, that's a hard one. I, uh, now that I think about it, I mean, I feel like me, me and maybe Breaking Benjamins could do something cool. I think that would be fun. Uh, them or if Crossfade could ever come back. Oh my yes. God, I'd love to do something with them. That would be, that would be every bit of uh, nostalgia for me to just it'd be perfect. Um, country. Let's see. I mentioned Hardy earlier and I do like him, but I figure I can, I can probably think of somebody better um, or somebody at least different. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of country artists that are, um, that I actually kind of dig these days. There's a guy named Riley Thomas. He has only one song out. Um, it's called uh, When Cowboys Dig Cocaine. And it's a country track. It is straight up a country <laughs> track. Wild. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he has, in, uh, I, don't know, I hope I could write with him or something like that. He's got uh, some hard rock, like kind of cool country shit. Emo alternative. I feel like I can't pick just one. But if I had to go with like one of my uh, one of my favorites, uh, which I'm surprised I haven't brought him up to this point, is Deftones. I mean, that oh, would be, be wild. That would be huge. That's 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 uh, that's easy. Another one that I really love um, is an artist named Johnny Goth. He's one of my favorite yeah. artists right now. Um, he's uh, everything he does is awesome. Um, let's see here. And bring me the horizon for sure. <laughs> bring me the oh, horizon is a favorite of mine. Yes, absolutely. Well, those are all really good choices. I mean, what interests me about bring me the horizon, as you mentioned, I mean, they too have been one of my favorite bands for many, many years, but I also started listening to them back with their original EP. We're talking like around 2005, 2006. So I, so they had oh, a totally okay. different sound. Yeah. 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 I didn't come in until suicide season. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Chelsea smile and all that stuff. Like I remember that song. I remember seeing the music video for it on YouTube and it was like a party atmosphere. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And the, a lot of the metal core scene for like the next, f- like six years after that, were all about the drug, sex and rock and roll. That's what the metal core yeah. scene became about. And, uh, you know, that had a big influence on me. That's not really my vibe anymore, but if you ask 13-year-old me, I was like, they're the shit. That's awesome. And that definitely <laughs> played a big part of my personality for quite a long time after. Well, still to this day, really. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's wild. Well, the first band, when you talk about that, that comes to mind for me is definitely Attila. Yeah. And it- Attila came out of Georgia. I went and saw them when I was super young, like 17 in Columbus, Georgia was my first show that I met Franz at. 
And, you know, but they defined the party metal scene, like for the they 2010s, did. like Attila was that band. So I'm curious now, <laughs> kind of going into a little bit of a deeper subject, you know, addiction, because you mentioned mm -hmm. that when you were describing your songs earlier in the conversation, I want to know all about how that's influenced your life, maybe some of your personal experiences with it and kind of where you stand with that going forward. You know, I, I've been very thankful whenever it comes to like substances or anything like that. That's, that's not an issue or anything like that, anything like that. But um, I have like had, you know, other people in my life who have dealt with some of that. And really, I mean, I'm thankful that I didn't really deal with that when I was younger or like a teenager, but as an adult, it's like, I've seen it a lot more and you yeah. see a lot of it come to light. And some people you didn't even realize had a problem, just, you know, some people that, you know, Oh, we, I used to play baseball with this kid whenever I was in middle school. Well, he just overdosed, you know, all this yep. other this stuff. And it's just kind of like, um, <sighs> drugs are just a sneaky thing and, and substances are. And, you know, for me, it's been like, you know, relationships, you know, you, you get so involved with somebody, you get, you know, addicted to a person. Um, yeah. and I feel like that's where a lot of my music kind of does stem a lot from like you, uh, and a lot of it is me maybe, uh, making up a version of them in my head that's better than they really are. And maybe yeah. that a lot of it comes, uh, from that and, or, or maybe I was duped into thinking they were away whenever they weren't. Um, but <sighs> Grimsley's definitely been my outlet to kind of speak about that. Like my song smile was about, you know, somebody very special to me that, uh, things didn't work out, you know, it's just like, well, I hope they're doing well. I hope they're doing better. You know, I guess these are the things you have to say, you know, to yeah. move on. And, um, but really, you know, like last year, whenever I kind of, uh, was around somebody who was dealing with that, you know, going and picking them up from, uh, like a halfway house and stuff like that. So after it had happened to talk with them, like what happened, why'd you do this? All this stuff. It's like, I mean, there's no real reason for it. It's something addiction is crazy because you're never cured. It's something that kind of will haunt you forever. Like in, you never know, like, uh, whenever you could relapse and all, and cause the person I was talking about, you know, she was three years sober and on the, <laughs> Uh, three-year anniversary is whenever it all came unraveled and that was so just uh it did a lot to me uh mentally and and it kind of uh broke me in many ways and seeing somebody go through that and then you know truth be told me not having the heart to stay around because i wanted to save myself because i was scared of what road i was scared that they were going to be gone one day, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that, that mm -hmm. fear is, was terrifying. And, uh, it's, 
definitely something that I've tried to relay in my music. Like my song Mistakes is another one where yeah. what that was really about. Um, we all make mistakes. Uh, and I don't know, it's, it's a difficult subject, but it's played a lot more into my music than I guess I even realize. I write whatever I'm feeling at the time. Um, and typically I move on from things a little bit after I write, which is an, an odd thing. It's kind of this therapeutic, I guess, mm -hmm. but, um, anything I write about legitimately is something that's going on in my head right there at that time. Um, it's never, it's not like necessarily like something from the past. It's just generally like it could have happened that day or that week, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of where, uh, I am with all that. Sorry if I ramble a lot. <laughs> no, not at all. No, not at all. That's exactly, look, here's the thing. Two points to that. Number one, I fully get it. I mean, from my perspective, it's happened very personally to me and my own family and also to my friends as well. I mean, growing up, granted, my situation is a little bit different. I've been straight edge my entire life, which mm -hmm. leads me to have like an element to a degree of objectivity where I mm -hmm. can really zoom out and say, hey, you should do this. You shouldn't do this. I'm not going to interfere, but this is my opinion. Ex-girlfriends, things like this, who've struggled with various forms of addiction, maybe alcohol, things like that. Never being able to find that consensus where the two people meet and say, hey, look, we're here for each other. We're not going to allow these substances to to break us apart because you know how it gets you know with with people who are addicted but mm -hmm. you know that was my experience so i definitely hear what you're saying on that and number two um i agree with you that you can become addicted to people i think love is maybe one of the greatest vices and people will never call it that because people like to view love as this, you know, it can be the currency or is the currency of the universe when you think about it. You know, remove all nation states and currencies. That's all you have. That communication between people is love and compassion, right? Without getting mm -hmm. too, you know, esoteric. But I like to think, you know, as I relate to your work, I, you know, love is very much a vice and it can have unintended consequences is what I'm getting at, basically. It it can. And uh, if there's any part of my life that I have been had the most trouble with, it is it is that it's the the love aspect it's the relationship aspect. And um, that's where that's kind of what I know. That's that's where my hardships have came. And um, now I haven't had like crazy things go on in my life. I haven't like lived a hard life or anything like that. I'm very fortunate. Um, but you know, a lot of my stuff comes from this anxious place. I don't know how to explain it. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, overthinking so many different things. Um, and like, you know, you, you know, you, you fall in love and then you're like, oh, well, do they mean it? You know, do or like, do they, uh, like, you know, yeah. What, what are they doing? You know, uh, they don't, they're. They're taking longer and longer to respond, you know, I'll, mm -hmm. there it goes, you know, then there's, there's that aspect of it too. It's like, uh, and it's, it's silly stuff, but it is stuff that does play on your, like your mental well being for a little bit. And, uh, um, and 
I mean, love is hard. I, I, I am not the person to ask about the what <laughs> or, or, or dude, what is love, you know, or, or anything like that. I, I am the worst at it. But I do talk about my issues that I have had with it in my music. <laughs> and so what do you think in your music? Because you talked about that anxiety, you, you touched on love, all these sorts of themes. What do you think is the one theme, kind of the common thread in your art? What is that? If you And I know you can't reduce it down to one theme. Nobody can. But what is something that you see yourself coming back to all the time in your art? thematically personally for me like it's that there is oh this is gonna sound so edgy but there's <laughs> beauty and there's like there's beauty in whatever pain that you felt and you turn it into something and you know there is good that can come of whatever terrible thing that's happening you know, hopefully sometimes it's as simple as just like, you know, a lesson learned. Um, but, and, and with my music, it's, uh, how do I say it? It's like my music is very, very melancholy, but I still want there to be a, I feel like I leave a sense of hope at the end of it a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. melancholy, yet hopeful. That's the way I've always been or I've always talked about Grimsley. It's like, it's very kind of sad, but there's still like a, a fun element to it. Um, the lyrics are not very uh, bright and happy, but um, when it, the, the whole soundscape of the songs isn't the saddest thing in the world. Um, so I guess that's where the Grimsley theme comes in. You know, it's of course there's there's something hopeful, even if it's just the instrumental, um, there's something hopeful or something hard hitting, impactful, you know, that's going to come from it. I understand that perfectly. I understand that perfectly because, you know, I believe you and I both come from a much, you know, people would call it edgier place. Let's call it a darker place. But in the end, um, there is light at the end of the tunnel in all of these circumstances. But you're articulating the realism of the situation, in your case, music. And there still is an optimistic message. And I think that's very important, you know. And I also use this phrase. I want to say it came from a Haybreed song, but it definitely came from a positive hardcore song. But it basically describes that rage is clarity and pain is clarity. And I do like to think that that pain is clarity. You know, you experience these, these things in life, but they give you a very clear sense of direction and you just kind of keep, you know, escalating. Yeah. I, that's a, an amazing way to put it. I completely agree with that. And, uh, maybe that's not what I was thinking whenever I did it, but that could definitely be a theme with what I'm going for as well, or what, you know, my music does. It's like, <sighs> I don't know. I, I think about it and like, I don't want people to relate to my music. I really don't because it means that they're not in the best place, but people are going to, no matter what, no matter how much I don't want it to happen. So yep. there's gotta be something there for them because mm -hmm. for sure, you know, anytime I've been in a bad place, uh, just mentally like 
listening a, listening to a song that just talks about exactly what you're going through there's something yeah. there's a great feeling that just comes from the the <laughs> relating you know just and you know people always say oh why do you listen to sad songs whenever you're sad it's like well you just want to be heard you, you know so you don't <laughs> you just want to be understood and sometimes songs can articulate your feelings way better than you can um so that's where that comes from that's a really important soundbite right there exactly what you said why listen to sad songs when you are in fact sad and you just want to be heard and maybe maybe let's touch on this for a second that's at the core of human experience and existence is people genuinely do want to be heard sometimes mm -hmm. it's not always in the best you know way you know that's not for mm -hmm. me to say you know it's the way people express themselves but people just want to be heard they they do i mean i i do you know it's i, I think every, everybody does um you know for me i think you know making music and and uh well listening to music first and foremost you know the right song at the right time is is a drug in of itself it's it tr yep. puts you somewhere else like whenever i'm sitting at my day job at my desk if a, the right song hits you know if i especially if it's one i haven't heard uh all of a sudden it's just you're in a different place mentally you know and that's that's one of the best things music can do and uh I want to recreate that for everybody. You know, I hope that my music has put people in that places in that place or wherever it wants to take them. And, you know, I hope I can keep painting new pictures for people in their heads forever and ever. Um, 100%. And I think that kind of brings me to some of the final questions. And number one, based on what you're saying, what is that? kind of legacy that you want to leave with people. And I know that's looking very far out. You know, I have the conversation with friends all the time. Is legacy even relevant? Does it exist? But what do you want to leave or at least impart upon people? Um, whenever it comes to legacy, like I, I go off and on like, Oh, it matters. Oh, it, it, it doesn't, or it does myself. Um, but Truth be told, I just want to leave songs that way, you know, hopefully they'll be heard forever on end um, or as long as humans are around and that they will always, <laughs> there's got to be songs for all topics and, and things people are going through. And I hope that my music will just come up in somebody's you know ears at some point some way somehow whenever they're going through a moment in time that just hits exactly whenever it needs to and just gives them that moment of just bliss that they needed away from whatever the hell is happening um because that's what music has done for me <laughs> perfect just takes me away you know i i i hope that uh I hope that my music stays around forever. Um, but if anything, I'm glad that it's already helped the people it has. And it's, uh, 
know, I'm grateful for everything that's that's happened so far, and I hope that I can continue to do this <laughs> for sure. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And um, you know, you can definitely count me as one of your supporters. One hundred percent. Appreciate it. <laughs> of course. So, what's next for Grimsley? I think is the the next question. That's a, that is a great question. Um, I mean, <laughs> the album, of course. Um, the only thing I'm really focused on for 2024 is just putting out a lot more music. Um, yeah. I'm going to get this album out and then I want to do singles every two to three weeks in 2024 and just build my catalog and hopefully get better at producing, better at uh, mixing and mastering and hopefully get a lot more people listening to my stuff. Um, but I'm taking it day by day. Uh, I mean, who knows? I can't, I can't plan too much in the future right now. I gotta, I've got to be able to get it done. That's one thing that you never know whenever writer's block comes and it's a real thing for me. That's for sure. Sometimes you got to push through it, but I don't know. I hope that I'm, I have a lot of new music out next year and I hope I can do a tour at some point um, or get on with a, a bigger act of some sort. Um, I do want to play a lot more shows. I've only done a couple so far, so that's really what I'd like to do. Well, that sounds great. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of things happening already, and so it's only yeah. going to grow. You know, you've already got so much under your so. belt, and it's just it's just going to grow exponentially from here. So that is the hope. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely will. So. A couple of interesting questions uh, before we go. Um, okay. One is far more abstract. Looking out to 2030, we touched briefly on AI and how the world might change. I'm kind of curious how you picture the world looking, not simply for artists, but you know, do you think we're going to come in contact with aliens, for example? Do you think we're going to live in an entirely different environment where nostalgia is no longer relevant? We're plugged into machines. What do you think? I'm very curious. Plugged into machines is absolutely going to happen. I can't say by 2030, though, but that is going to happen. At one point, they're, they're going to let us upload our brains and live forever in our lifetimes. In our lifetime. That's absolutely going to happen. Mm -hmm. But uh, aliens, mm -hmm. you know, I've kept up with everything going on, like most people have, and I am. Yeah. I'm all in, but you know, I, I don't really believe it. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe anything that they've came out with because everything's there's no hard evidence. It's like, you know, at the, that hearing that they had, it's like, yes, we can confirm we've seen things. All right. You know, and they, they show, they, uh, they, <laughs> you know, and then they show a random clip of some BB flying across the screen. I don't know, but it, it's not enough for me you know, to like be all in. Uh, but I can say that I really hope that we're not alone. I don't think we yeah. are. I think there's too much. And if we are, that's terrifying. That's, that's not something I want to think about. Um, but I think that we, we don't even know if they're in this dimension, man. We don't even know if we're in the right wavelength for them, you know? Um, I don't, I don't see us I don't see us actually coming into contact with aliens 
you know, I don't see them just coming down. Like, why would they, why would they want to come see us? You know, it doesn't make any sense. If they're that, if they're that awesome, you know, why would they come here? You know, we're not that cool <laughs> in, in comparison to, to what they're doing. If they're totally flying through uh, anyway, I, we may just be a science experiment. Who knows? No, I want to continue uh, with this a little bit. I, I think the same. I mean, there's one train of thought that we're just living on a farm. And they're effectively our zookeepers. Okay, that's one train of thought. On the other hand, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of other people think perhaps, you know, they find entertainment in us, you know, when others evolved. And they just come to, it's like, you know, a drive-in movie theater, effectively. They just kind of zoom in and out. It was like an episode of Rick and Morty, like, about that or something. Or it's been (laughs) a thing where they just, like, watch us on TV, which I I don't blame them. I'd watch this, too. I mean... I think it's interesting, uh, but <laughs> I hope that aliens don't just come and just show up and and uh, uh, just without a or, or I feel like they wouldn't be nice. I feel like they would probably be really hostile, and um, everybody would freak out. Every religion would switch to these are our gods now. You know, of course, it's it's it would be terrifying. Um, I don't know. I hope that uh, if it does happen, I'd rather be long gone. That that just sounds like a, a existential crisis waiting to happen. You know. <laughs> well, what do well, you think you, about it? Do you, you believe want... in aliens? Absolutely. I mean, without question. You know, the question then then of course becomes okay. Well, first of all, when you accept it then it's just another day unless it's going to have just an apps like an acute effect on your life. Like, you know, imagine somebody says, okay, I'm from Zeta Reticuli. And then you say, okay, well, it's nice to meet you. Okay, cool. I, you know, I got to go make the song. You know, I got to go design this thing real quick. I have an art exhibition coming up. Nothing's going to change if you're a pragmatic, just logical person. You're going to be like, well, of course I knew that great yeah of course we live in this vast universe with billions of galaxies of course that's just like rick and morty effectively so that's that's (laughs) my take on it i had to get your opinion i mean that's where i'm at with all this now granted i think yeah tell me no i was just gonna say like if uh if aliens are real i feel like there's god this is gonna just dive right in then i believe like the multiverse is real you know Mm -hmm. like all this stuff all these other like there's there's a whole world of things that I don't think I can ever fully wrap my brain around, but um, it is fun to think about. I'm sure there's, you know, I don't know. If, if there are aliens, they uh, they would probably have a lot to show us and tell us that we're not ready for. Because, you know, it's one thing to know that they're real, but what do they know? You know, what, exactly. do, uh, <laughs> what are they about to tell us that, you know, do we want to know? Do we do we want to know what's out there? You know, because truth be told, that means we're probably the smallest fish in this huge pond of stuff that we were not aware of. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I don't know what's scarier. I don't know if that's that's terrifying or or what. But you know, then there's also like what is it, the Fermi paradox, where you believe that uh, you know. Or other life probably did exist, but it's been so long that they probably don't exist anymore. You know, it's being at the right time or, or living forever and no, 
no life form will ever do that. I don't think I, humans will go away at some point, you know, at least I believe. Yeah. Or at least just be transitioned into a brand new kind of species, you know, first hybridized with machines being the first step. And then from there, who knows what will become? I mean, Maybe we'll become pure we're consciousness. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, and that's kind of, I don't know, man. I, well, first of all, as, as we talk about emo, as we talk about, you know, these darker themes, you know, it's sadness, but it's optimism. It's a juxtaposition, right? I like to think with regards to extraterrestrials or interdimensionals or what have you, they say, look, there is something beyond your comprehension, but just know it's good. You know, initially you're going to freak out. This is going to be beyond your realm of comprehension, but then they might say, but look, you know, after this world is a world of pure energy, you know, is this brand new form of consciousness. So I'm, I'm optimistic that even if it all just kind of came falling down, like a Jenga set, that at the end of the day, we'd find a new way to live. That's just my optimism. But what do you think? I mean, part of me, I, I want to agree. Like, uh, I don't know, you hear so much about like people who come back for like DMT trips and stuff like that, where they have like those types of feelings that, you know, they get told by the machine elves that everything's okay. Yep. You know, this, there's this peacefulness and this, this love, uh, because I mean, that would be awesome if that's the case. Uh, maybe things wouldn't be so bad and whatever is next, but it's hella terrifying to get there to that point and trust it but i don't know i've never experienced that but part of me would love to see what that's like you know just just experiencing what these beings are that are just uh <laughs> that that's next because uh god don't, don't they t say like whenever you go to pass away that it releases that in your brain correct yeah and um maybe that's the portal to heaven, you know, maybe that's a, exactly. or the portal to whatever's next, you know, we just, we're, we're just conscious and going back and, you know, Oh dude, we can sit here and get on this for sure. But, um, I don't know. I've, I've always like had this thought and theory, which I, it's not something that's brand new. It's, it's an actual theory. I don't know what it's called, but it's where we're all like a piece of God. Um, uh, have you heard this theory? experiencing consciousness through everyone simultaneously like in other words yeah we're just well, one piece of the puzzle yeah yeah like god like you know god you know is living out every single case scenario of what he's created and that's why like people die very young that's why people die very old people die tragically mm -hmm. people die peacefully um He's living out every single bit of the human experience or just the life experience uh, that he created. And maybe that's us going back into it. You know, that's, maybe that's going, us going back into the, the pool, you know, or whatever. That's incredibly meta. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it is. No, no, no. That's perfect. No, honestly, the deeper and more transcendental, uh, yeah, transcendental you're willing to get is fine by me. But no, that's crazy to think about. I would like you to expand on that a little bit because it's like that is a bit frightening, right? Because that makes yeah. us feel like we are video game avatars. 
for yeah. a higher dimensional being. Well, we may very well be. I won't ever know. Uh, but <laughs> I'm hoping that I've, so far I've been gifted a pretty good uh, video game experience. And yeah. I hope that it keeps on going that way. But I don't feel like for me going down that thought path is going to do me any favors because, you know, I don't feel like there isn't a meaning to life. I feel like, I feel like, you know, you have to make your own meaning. And I know a lot of people get caught up in that thought process and like, Oh, well, nothing matters. Nothing does this and that. It's like, well, this is all you got, you mm -hmm. know, make it mean something, you know, <laughs> regardless. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's intimidating to, to think about that, but, I don't know, man. I'm sorry I took us down this path. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, a lot of my work personally does focus on abstractions of the afterlife and what that could be, the significance mm -hmm. of life, the insignificance, you know, a sense of humility, but it does focus mm -hmm. on the afterlife and what, and my belief in it, which is very much a yes, that there is a transcendental realm beyond this realm of existence because nobody knows what this is. No one knows oh, if yeah. this is in fact a simulation. Now I don't oh, think same it's a simu here. you know, like a simulation in the video game sense. I don't think we're literally living in a computer generation, though we could be, but we're definitely living in a holographic projection, you know, to some degree. I think scientifically we we very well could be. I mean, like, did you see, uh, do you know who Lex Friedman is? Yeah. Well, he just did like a, a whole like metaverse interview with Mark Zuckerberg in his newest one. And it was like hyper realistic. And it's like, wow, that's something we're doing right now. You know, like that's, uh, yes. You know, that's getting one step closer to like just being, a, there's just another human, you know, an AI human becoming a thing or, or just, if we can make that, then something could have made us, you know, and then you can just keep on going down that rabbit hole. And that is, uh, I mean, that's terrifying, but, um, I think that we will get to a point where we will be able to create something that's pretty close to this. And yeah, I don't think I completely agree with playing God. You know, that's, right. I think that's not a realm I want to ever see happen, but that will, people will try. Well, certainly. Absolutely. I mean, do you think even, well, that, that brings an interesting question, you know, cause people will always try to do things that have traditionally been reserved for a divine power, be it giving life, you know, artificially, or be it extending the lifespan, things like mm -hmm. this, but with the rise of artificial general intelligence, so not AI as it applies to our work, but just an artificial general intelligence that can think as well as any other human on the planet. And then an artificial super intelligence, which of course is an order of magnitude greater and just keeps improving. What, what are your thoughts on that in the general sense going forward? Um, I, I feel like once that becomes a thing I, I can only hope that it's regulated you know mm -hmm. enough to where it's not going to be demented or it's not going to be something that you know is here to kill us all because um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what all the movies are about that's what they warn us with scare us with all the time um, of course 
I mean, they just had a huge halt or something like that, where all the like top people in AI were just like, let's put stop this. Everybody stops. So let's put some rules on this real quick. And I don't know if that ever ended up happening or what, but um, I hope that there was some agreements made because whatever super intelligence comes about, it's I, <laughs> we will be secondary to it once that's made. <laughs> we are no mm-hmm. longer we are no longer the 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 main character here. You know, humans created the next evolution of what we are. You know, and, and that's uh, or we created the next evolution of just maybe that becomes what humans are next i don't know yeah uh, i mean we started as you know like tadpoles and now we're humans and now we're create we've maybe we've reached our final form and we got to create the next one you know by hand so uh i don't know i i it's terrifying to think about all this stuff is so overwhelming but and maybe i don't have all my thoughts gathered here about it but mm-hmm. i can say for a fact that uh I don't think that's something that we want yet. <laughs> We're not really. Uh, I agree with you. No, no, no. Everything, AI right now, I think, is amazing and super mm-hmm. helpful. And, you know, of course, I want it to be used to add to things rather than just be something entirely. Like, I want it to be it, – it is a great – I want it to be a tool in the toolbox rather than just what we do. You know, like, I don't want all AI music or all AI art and stuff like that. That's going to be, that's going to make things boring. I don't know. Super intelligence is not what I want uh, at all. Well, I think you're, I think you're really articulating it well because the human touch, if you will, is something that we can all understand and relate to. And when this is removed, you know, from our control, that's completely uncharted territory. I think we've always assumed we we could visualize a scenario where a computer codes for you. I mean, you can already do that. We can visualize that scenario, but when it starts making something that's so fundamentally human, art, music, things of this nature, it gets a little bit shaky. And I'm yes. certainly not somebody who's anti-technology, in fact, quite the opposite, but that's where we start to from my personal opinion, you know, tell me your thoughts, we start to lose our humanity. That's when I think a whole new generation, we talk about the MySpace generation, TikTok generation, that's a whole new group of people who we won't be able to recognize as part of our human society, you know, that just are merged from day one with machines, basically. Yeah, um, maybe we'll stay separate. Maybe, you know, or maybe we'll integrate in an interesting way, but we will always be secondary to them. But, um, like, it's a huge trend already to, like, slow down the usage of, like, social media and technology. Like, people are wanting to go back. You know, people are wanting to, like, it's, it's a huge trend. Like, anytime I click on YouTube or go on TikTok, you know, people are talking about, you know, slowing it down. Let's, uh, you know. Let's not get on social media so much or delete your social media, um, which, to be honest with you, I love the thought of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you're an artist, you know, I'm not able to because I make music and the only way for me to get heard is to have it. So I'm kind of stuck in this 
rough situation where it's like, I have to be like super involved and into it and be addicted regardless of if I want to be or not. Um, of course, because I want, I want my music to be heard more than anything. Um, so I guess that's a life sacrifice I'm willing to make just, you know, to be on social media, be that connected and, you know, see everything, even though it's terrible for my mental health and, uh, yeah. you know, breaks can be had and should be had, but I feel like we probably in the next five, 10 years, going back to that subject, I think that there will be a whole lot more people, uh, going back to, uh, easier, easier ways of living, you know, before socials, I think people will be getting off social media more and more and taking, or taking a full break will be a much more normal thing or, or, Cause this is all still really new. Like, I mean, my, me and my parents talk about this all the time. Like they cannot help me at all because how are they supposed to relate? They never had social media. You know, they weren't yeah. always connected at all times. You know, like my mom tells me like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know. Like I can give you some advice, but truth be told, I don't know what you're really dealing with. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, maybe AI will be able to tell me what to do. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe an AI will come about and I can make an AI Grimsley and let him run that stuff and I can just make the music. Maybe that's how I can do this. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I mean, well, look, I mean, even chat GPT is a good resource right now. If you yeah. need somebody to talk to about these concepts, I mean, I get it. There is a generational divide. It's the same mm -hmm. for me with my family. You know, it's very mm -hmm. much an individual journey you're on at the end of the day. And you have to kind of learn and grow. And that's just part of the process. Don't, everyone knows it, doesn't really want to experience it. But once you do, it's kind of a sigh of relief. You know how to navigate a lot better. Um, yeah. But I think it's an interesting final segue in our conversation, because at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about analog aesthetics, nostalgia, and things we were drawn to. And then we, we went all the way into AI and futurism. And you're discussing now this tendency or this need for people to disconnect and even form maybe communities where they say, look, you know, we need a break from all of this. You know, it's, it's great. You know, we have access to everything at our fingertips. We could possibly want people, food, transportation, everything better than any time in history, but we need to take a step back because it is doing no favors for our human, you know, uh, nervous system. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, uh, we're going to get more and more connected regardless of if I want to or not. Like, and yeah. there's a whole nostalgia, you know, for the early 2000s and stuff like that, because it was almost like the right amount of technology, you know, like okay. we were like, it was like you would get online for like an hour. If you were on MySpace and stuff like that, you would check everything and then go to bed. I mean, I mean, you might be able to text or something like that, but you weren't like, oh, man, I saw that they seen my message four hours ago. They're not responding. Or, oh, why have they opened my Snapchat? Or, like, you know, don't, like, I know they're on their phone, you know? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? So it's, it's maybe just thinking about a simpler time, which I think that's all nostalgia is, really, at the end of the day. And that's where my nostalgia really comes from. That's, I mean, this is the first time I'm ever really having it. Like, um, I mean, I can think back on my teenage years and all that stuff, but truth be told us like the early 2000s were just a really cool formative time for me and you know i got to experience childhood right before all 
this stuff happened. Like I was a teenager yeah. really whenever social media really hit. So mm-hmm. um, I can only imagine what children these days, I think they're calling them like uh, Gen Alpha, I think. Yep. Like they're, uh, they, they're going to be on a different level. Like they, in many ways they're going to be behind, but in many ways they're going to be way ahead of us. Um, and I mean, it's all just scary to think about, but I, I think whenever it comes to thinking about just the, the whole nostalgia thing and why I look back on that time frame, I think it is just because it was a simpler time and it was, a it was a time I fully enjoyed everything. Like, uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it was formative years and just the art was cool. And I I guess fashion comes around and stuff like that. Trends come back around in waves. And now is just that time for this. It was also our thoughts of the future. Then I I, I apologize. It was also like, everybody was always talking about the future stuff, making like all these, uh, I don't know. It seemed like uh, the future was a big thing in the early 2000s. So like, oh, we're in the 2000s now. It's a big deal. and um, That's true. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, but I think those 2000s styles actually articulated the future better. Because if you remember the 2010s, it was very minimalist. We got rid yeah. of a lot of a lot of those design elements that were very extravagant and basically screamed in your face. For example, the iMac, the late '90s iMac model, was a very futuristic design. Things became more minimalist, more minimalist, but eventually there was a return to form. Now people are like accepting futurism from a design perspective, like that. Like that, I think Y2K is not only has it come back around, but it really is articulating a future. We realize it articulated the future in a very like prescient way like it was like oh this was right we actually didn't mean to get rid of everything and become so minimalist that we didn't have an identity anymore like this was good this was enough yeah yeah i mean that's that's true i mean there's a lot of stuff that was horrifically ugly thinking about like what my parents would dress our house in at the time and the (laughs) ugly wood cabinets and all that stuff but whenever it comes to technology then in video games and just like culture for you know the younger generation it was like i don't know it was cool it was really cool it's like the i think this may be a bit of a hot take but the matrix please i think did mm-hmm. a number on all of culture then you know and, mm-hmm. and that that played into that whole futuristic thing you know and um that's what a lot of video games did you know a lot of like music and stuff from that time was kind of like inspired by that so uh, yeah, it's is interesting to think about. No, it is interesting to think about. I I think to your point, it's just maybe the the thread in this conversation as we've dissected all of these different eras is you know humans crave connection. There is something no matter our aesthetic, where how we grew up, where we grew up, that we all just want connection to be heard. You know, and I just I think there's something to that as we're talking about it, that maybe there's mm-hmm. a time when Grimsley, for example, in the future is a perfectly rendered avatar, you know, playing mm-hmm. a concert on Mars, you know, basically for all of the Martians are hanging out and they're watching a hologram of you perfectly rendered and you're just chilling in your pod, you know, like <laughs> whatever, whatever the case may be, that might, that might happen. But then there's going to be like this last wave of people who are nostalgic 
for what it was to be a human. Like, oh, remember, instead of millennial nostalgia, they're going to be like, oh, you remember that time when we actually didn't have, you know, computer interfaces connected to our brains directly and we were purely biological, like all this kind of stuff. It's going to be, that's going to be the final wave of nostalgia. Like, because, you know, Gen Alpha, you know, they're growing up on the iPad. So Yeah, yeah, that's, and you're right. It, it's kind of, it's, I'm sure they, like, if you talk about, or people from the 50s hear us talk about what our nostalgia is now, they would think it's so sad and stuff like that, because I'm getting that same feeling. as like, oh, that's really, really sad that that's how they're going to feel about it, or that's what they're going to remember as, like, nostalgic to them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, time goes on. Um, I think, I don't know. I hope that the crave for connection will remain and there will always be that want. And I don't believe that virtual reality or anything like that will ever do it justice. I think that at the end of the day, like for me, like music, there's the, the element. Okay. What matters a lot to me is like the, the element of, connecting to somebody just through their lyrics and through their writing and getting into a band. And then all of a sudden you go to a show and you get in a room with all these people who got into it for the exact same reason. And there's this like, you know, it's like, a, um, it's a feeling that just could never be recreated in anything but a real life setting. And that's my hope for music and art is that the, the actual connection will keep you know everything artistic and musical together um because otherwise it'll just be kind of sad i don't want to go to a virtual reality concert <laughs> i'll be lame so that kind of that kind of no that's interesting because i agree with you even though it, things are technologically possible it doesn't mean they feel organic it doesn't mean they make you mm -hmm. feel kind of the way we feel the way you feel when you make when you make art, the way I feel when I make art, the way we feel collectively when we listen to something that has a profound impact on us, you're right. No matter how technologically advanced we get, nothing will ever replicate that feeling. And I also say this a lot too, that people are chasing a feeling. You know, everybody mm -hmm. is also chasing a feeling. Yeah. And kind of that brings me to my final question. What, what do you think about that notion of chasing a feeling? And what are you chasing and what do you think about kind of humanity as a whole? You know, what are we all chasing? Well, you know, I think like we've talked about already, I mean, it's that, that feeling of wanting to be heard, to be loved, to be known, to, uh, to, to be connected. I think that we all want a sense of community. We all want, um, we all want to belong somewhere and I, you know what, that's what it is. We all want to feel like we belong. We all want to feel like there's other people who are like us. Um, and believe me, there's communities for everybody, regardless of if they're good or not. Uh, there is, there, there are. Um, and, uh, I think that's why people will go down darker roads or get into a really great band, you know, because yeah. they just want to belong. I mean, I do. So. Same. Well, I think everything you're doing is absolutely amazing. And I think that's a perfect place to end it. I mean, I'm going to be listening to all your work going forward. And 
you know, I'm going to send you some, some things, some, uh, some redneck hardcore that I think you will appreciate because of how we both grew up 100%. And I look forward to it and hopefully I'll go on a tour and, you know, I'll come close to wherever you are and I'd love to meet you, man. That'll be awesome. We'll, we'll get it done, brother. We'll find a way to collaborate. Well, thank you again, man. And have a great rest of your night, man. I appreciate you. You too. Thank you, Akiva. Of course. Thanks, brother.